Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Let's go. Ready? From the top. My favorite shows on TV have 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me, and I'm like, and he's like, and she's like, it's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. The dying polar bears, no tigers in All right, if you hear that music, you know what's happening. Well, you may not know what's happening in any kind of totality. In fact, you may have no idea what's happening. But you know on this show, that, that means we're going to do calls. We're going to take your calls today. I'm no guests. Working without a net. It's fine with me. Um, and we are going to talk today about the current situation with COVID-19, the so-called Delta variant. I sort of wonder about all the things named, I mean, Delta Airlines, people are making fun of them, but I don't know. I get I get mail. I get unsolicited mail from something, something called Delta Dental. I mean, under what circumstances would you patronize anything called Del- Delta Dental at this particular moment? I mean, even though you know it, you know it has no connection. Um, still, it's called Delta. This is not a good time to be Delta anything. Uh, all right. So um, before we, well, first of all, I'll give you the phone number, and then you could just call me about whatever, because <laughs> that's what people do. So if like you work, if you work at Stop and Shop in Cromwell, and you're running for mayor, you can just call in, even though we're actually theoretically talking about the current moment in the pandemic. And let me just set it up to you before I go into some other business here. I mean, I think sort of the two the two general Uber questions here are a. Is the government doing enough? Do you want the government to do more things or possibly fewer things? Um, And how about personal behavior? Uh, Do you want personal behavior to change? And so we're going to be talking about vaccine, proof of vaccination, passports. We're going to be talking about masks and masking mandates and masking guidance and unmasking. Well, all that stuff. We will talk about it. So I'll give you the phone number uh, and then I'm going to tell you some other things. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. That's the number you call. You call. Jonathan McPants, the producer, answers the phone. He finds out who you are. He tells you, don't greet Colin. You don't have to say, hey, how's it going? Stuff like that. You will ignore that commandment because everybody does. <laughs> um, uh, he will tell you, just get right to your point, and you will not do that. Uh, anyway, uh, and then we'll take your call. That's how that works. 860-275-7266. Now, let me just say a few things about where I think we are. Um, you know, I don't think the sky is falling, but I do think that we are in a serious situation uh, in, in which uh, in certain parts of the country and increasingly kind of everywhere-ish, uh, we have hotspots and we have areas where the virus is once again getting out of control. And this is happening, happening in the summer which is supposed to be happy time in, in this pandemic. Uh, it's happening in the summer that we're having these up spikes. Uh, school's going to be reopening pretty soon. Probably means more transmission rather than less. 
we are under we are beginning to understand new things about how the vaccines work and don't work. Um, and but I also think we need to sort of change some of our own thinking about this. And I include myself in this equation. Um, there are ways in which I think we're not helping things. Like I, I, I will admit to something. I have kind of uniformly and with a very broad brush condemned and demonized uh, people who aren't vaccinated at this point. And I'm increasingly, because I'm spending some time listening to what they say, for example, the New York Times podcast, The Daily, uh, had a really good show in which we just sort of heard the voices of people who aren't vaccinated yet. Why aren't they vaccinated yet? Well, some of them are anti-vax fanatics, you know, the kind of people. If you want to meet those people, you can find them very easily. There's like the CT Freedom Alliance or whatever it's called. Go on Facebook and you can see those people. But a lot of them aren't fanatics. Some of them are people who just are worried about the side effects, you know, they might even be in a precarious situation where it's hard for them to get away from work uh, to to get the vaccine. It might be even harder to be out of work for two days with side effects if the vaccine, if they had a strong reaction to the vaccine. So they're worried about that. That's not crazy. There are people there are people who are genuinely troubled by the fact that this is still a, an EUA, an emergency use youth <laughs> emergency use authorization. There, I got it out. Uh, as opposed to a fully approved by the FDA, but the sooner the FDA can do that, the better. Uh, in fact, Fauci was, uh, I think, on NBC over the weekend saying he thinks, hopes, wishes, believes some combination of those that it's going to happen fairly soon, maybe even before the start of school. That would be good. It's, I mean, it's sort of weird because a lot of the people who don't want to use the vaccine because it's not fully approved by the FDA are also people who say they don't trust the government. But apparently they trust the government enough so that they wish the FDA would approve the vaccine. But anyway, whatever. God bless them, I say. I mean, you know, it's it's they're just I mean, there are people who believe differently than we do or they just go at things a little bit differently. And not everything they say is completely crazy. Um, and I think treating them as though they are either crazy or evil or stupid will compound the problem. Um, you know, we're just never going to make any headway with them. All right. I am going to the phones and I am going to start with – hold on just a second. I'm going to start with – I don't even know how to say, say the name. I'm going to mess the name up. So I will simply ask you your name. Calling in from Glastonbury, tell me your name. It's Neha. Okay, there. That's better than me butchering it, right? You, 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 I think you would be fine. Okay. Uh, so, uh, hi, Colin. Hi. A couple of things. So I am, I am a physician who, you know, who works with older adults and so who've been very impacted by the pandemic all along. And I'm also a mom of two young children who are now on their way to school. And I think the, the government made one mistake when they said people who were vaccinated did not need to wear masks anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we set the expectations back. And now that we're backtracking and asking people to mask again, it's going to be harder. That said, I think for schools... You know, and, and there is so much of, of conflict, at least on social media, about masking and vaccinations and should teachers be vaccinated and should they be tested if they're not vaccinated. I do think at this point, beyond vaccinations, if we continue to follow the masking and the social distancing and the hand washing protocols, that's probably the best we can hope for until we have vaccines for the children. 
I agree with you, and I, I, I especially agree with what you're saying at the outset, too. Well, I agree with both things that you just said, but to take you the first part of your statement, I think there's a real problem with so much noise inside which you have to find the signal. Uh, and I think that's going on at multiple levels of government. And yes, I mean, they, they we understand this is an evolving situation. There was no particular roadmap for this pandemic. And so the CDC and everybody else has to respond to changes uh, in the environment. But you're saying, and I think I agree with you, they're responding too quickly. And so it turns into this kind of very tight zigzagging thing where people, like, for example, I, I pay a lot of attention to this. I'm a journalist. I, and yet, I mean, here in the state of Connecticut, for example, the last thing that I knew was that the policy, so to speak, coming from Governor Lamont's office was that uh, you should wear a mask in- indoors in you know restaurant environments and comparable environments like that if you had not been vaccinated. But if you had been vaccinated, it wasn't necessary for you to wear a mask, except that now there's another policy that says municipalities are allowed to make up their own and are kind of encouraged to make up their own masking policies. So to me, that's two policies. Policies, none of which amounts to any real clarity, too. And Neha, I'd love you to respond to this too, as a physician, too. If we're going to have either locally or statewide or nationally these policies that say, well, if you're vaccinated, you can do one thing. If you haven't been vaccinated, you can do another thing. And we don't have any kind of universally accepted proof of vaccination. Uh, you know, I just feel like these are policies designed to confuse and mislead. I mean, we're on the honor system about a pretty important question. Exactly. I, I, I completely agree with you. And the bottom line is you cannot put out a conflicting public health message. A public health message has to be simple and it has to be consistent. If we have simply stuck with, you know, wear your mask, you're inside, outside, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, we don't care, wear your mask. It probably would have been a little bit easier because the moment you start confusing people, you know, I, I mean, again, you said you're a journalist, I'm a physician. If we are like, and then the CDC and the WHO are saying two different things, if we're confused, I mean, most people are just like, okay, I don't want to deal with this. You know, this is too much. Or I don't trust anybody anymore because they keep changing their message. So we need to stay on message. I I agree. And the other thing psychologically is whenever you let up on things, whenever you give people more latitude on things, it's harder to take that latitude away again. So to whatever extent people were told, all right, you know, if you're vaccinated, you can forget about the mask thing. It's very hard to tell that group of people. Uh, no, as a matter. In fact, Dan Har has a piece in Hearst in which he himself expresses this sentiment that he doesn't feel like having to wear his mask. They just told him he doesn't have to wear his mask, and he's vaccinated, and the breakthroughs aren't that bad. And you know, I, I mean, I, I think one of the things that we we're not well trained to do as civilians, we're not physicians like you, Neha. We, you know, I mean, people don't process scientific information that well. Um, they don't understand how quickly this situation can change. So anyway, I, I, I thank you so much for your call. Uh, I do need to move along because a lot of people are calling up. Uh, I just noticed that. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Here is Sue from Kent. Hi, Sue. Hi, how are you, Colin? Um, I have some comments. Uh, I do believe we need a national mandate with uh, to have maxi- uh, vaccine passports, we have 
certain states like Florida who have leaders who have questionable motives and ethics. So having state by state just simply isn't working. And this virus is so insidious and sneaky and changeable. And the more time that we waste, the more likely it's going to get out of control again, which it's that way now. So I just really think that we need to uh, just draw a big, strong line and have a national mandate. Right. Now, the the problem, of course, with drawing that line is that in some ways you play right into the hands of the kind of demagogue that you were describing, uh, that fellow who runs the state of Florida. Cat, um, let's just play a little bit uh, of that fellow, cut one. We can either have a free society or we can have a biomedical security state. And I can tell you, Florida, we're a free state. People are going to be free to choose to make their own decisions about themselves, about their families, about their kids' education, and about putting food on the table. And Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should, quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this. If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way. I'm not going to let you get away with it. So, you know, Sue, you can see how that's kind of red meat, red meat to his base. And he's already figured out what his catchphrase is going to be, biomedical security state. So the minute you start to lay down something like, OK, here's, uh, here's a, a, a universally acknowledged and recognized vaccine passport. If you've got it, it means you've been vaccinated. If you don't, it means you haven't. We've even gone to some trouble, whatever that trouble might be, to make sure it's difficult to fake because there's already fake proof of vaccination being sold uh, uh, on the internet, even as I speak. So we're going to go to all this trouble and you're going to have it. I mean, right away, people like DeSantis are going to use that as proof that this is big brother. And and that's the challenge, right? You want, I mean, everything that you're saying makes complete sense to me. I want it to be that way too. But you know what this guy's going to do with it, right? Hey, yeah. He's always going to find something like that to say. We shouldn't be afraid of him. We should just do what we think is right. And what about the rights of the people who are being exposed to the people who aren't vaccinated? What about, what about our rights? You know, what about I, the student going to school in a classroom where, you know, you can't even find out who's vaccinated or not? It's just not fair. You know, I, I, about their rights, but what about our rights? Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I mean, so now, now it sounds like I'm... I'm urinating down both legs, but I'm not. I mean, here's what here's what I think. If you're going to have a policy, as we did for like 15 minutes, and maybe we still do, I can't really tell anymore in Connecticut whether it's just all up to the towns or we still have this kind of overarching idea. But if you're going to have a policy that says, you know, you can go into this store or you can go into this restaurant with no mask if you're vaccinated, but you can't if you're not vaccinated, then you need a mask. Then you've got to have, I mean, it's a completely meaningless gesture. It's not a policy. It's not a guidance. It's a gesture and an empty gesture at that uh, if you don't have some kind of universally accepted proof of vaccination. Because otherwise, I mean, the people who want to, I won't say weasel out because I, I don't want to demonize them. A lot of them have reasons. But a lot of the people who are going to make the decision that they're just going to skip out on this whole vaccination thing are similarly disposed towards requirements like that one or, you know, guidances like that one. I mean, in other words, the same people who are not going to get vaccinated are going to be people who are going to say, oh, yeah, I'm vaccinated. I go so because they don't want to wear masks either. They don't they, they they want to go into CVS or the restaurant or whatever with no masks. So they are absolutely going to be, you know, there's going to be a heavy overlap 
in the Venn diagram circles of people who don't want to get vaccinated and don't want to wear masks and don't want to be honest about whether they've been vaccinated or not if it means they're going to have to wear a mask. All right, so enough raving from me. 860-275-7266. Lots of people calling in. <laughs> I feel like I kind of have to take Michael, even though he's he appears to be off topic. I, I, I spent 16 years talking to people on the radio who are off topic, So, and I enjoyed every minute of it. So here we go. Hi, Michael. Good afternoon, Colin. Um, look, I got plenty to say about Fauci and and the mandates and everything, but I, I, a gr- phenomenal distraction is Wishbone, the Avon turkey. Are you aware of Wishbone? No. I mean, I remember there was Kev- Kevin was a celebrity turkey in Connecticut, I think, last year. I forget where Kevin lived, but he lived in somewhere in Connecticut. And he ran around. And Tell us about Wishbone. So Wishbone inhabits the corner of Route 44 and Route 10 by the church and the, the car dealership. Yeah. This, this turkey walks around apparently completely free, yet sort of aware of its own limitations, walks across the road. I just, I just saw it five minutes ago. It is sitting there. There's like, on the other corner, there's, a, I think, an employment agency, and it was right outside the employment agency. I don't know if they're trying to tell us something, but yeah. this is, it's got an Instagram. It's called Wishbone the Avon Turkey, and it seems to just live its life on this very busy intersection. And, you know, there's part of me who's, you know, waiting for some horrible news, but there's part of me that's just very pleased to see it. Yes. Well, I mean, he probably goes to Fisher Meadows occasionally, get a rest from all the traffic. Um, a long way. It's not that far from where we're talking about. He's over, he's over by O'Neill's, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. okay. He's not that far. Um, but, right, you know, as the turkey flies, it's not that far. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I love stuff like this, too. And I, I think, you know, it does sort of... And we now know what the difference between Wishbone the Turkey and Governor DeSantis is. One of them is aware of his own limitations. Uh, all right. We will take a break. Thanks for that, Michael. Thanks for dragging us off topic because... I like going off topic. All right, but we're back on topic, right? If you're yes. if you're following at home, we're back on topic. And I hear from the music that we're going to take a break. I think that's a good idea. Our number, 860-275-7266. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. 
I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, we are back. We are talking about this particular moment uh, in the COVID pandemic uh, and what it is that you either want or don't want to have happen. Do you want stronger mask policies uh, here where we live or elsewhere? Uh, Do you want vaccination mandates uh, either nationwide or in certain situations? Do you want uh, proof of vaccinations so that you can create, I mean, you can create policies that say you can't, come and watch the Yard Goats game or whatever, uh, unless you've been vaccinated and you have to be able to prove it. Um, probably make more sense with an indoor sports event, but whatever. I mean, crowded situations right now we're thinking uh, are a, a little bit more dicey, generally speaking. Uh, and do you want job situations where, in fact, there are vaccine mandates? United Airlines has informed its employees that they will need to be fully vaccinated by October 25th or five weeks after the FDA grants full approval of the vaccines, whichever date comes first. Disney and Walmart have announced vaccine mandates for white-collar workers, and Microsoft, Google, and Facebook say they will require proof of vaccination for employees and visitors to their U.S. offices. Tyson Food has announced it will require all U.S. employees to get vaccinated by November. What are the things, and you might have heard it there in one of the qualifications, the United Airlines one, is it's a little tricky to tell your workforce that they have to get a vaccine that's under an EUA right now. It's why the sooner the vaccine can be fully approved by the FDA, the easier it is also for businesses to say you have to get it or you can't. Oh, you know, and some some of them are going to say you have to get get it or you have to be tested every time you come in. Um, anyway, uh, the, all these things. All right. So let's t- go to Justin and Ledyard and we'll just sort of uh, well, I should say one more thing before we go to Justin, which is one of the things that I really want to do with these call-in shows, at least one day, I want to just not have a topic and let people call in about turkeys and how Corona beer doesn't taste right anymore or whatever it is that they're thinking about and just see what happens there. I am completely willing to do that. Um, I'm not sure everybody in public radio agrees that that's a good idea, but that's the kind of story of my, my, my tenure here. Uh, all right. Here's uh, Justin from Ledyard. Hi, you're on the air. Or maybe you're not. All right. I think Justin, Justin may have, um, you know, reconsidered the wisdom of calling here. All right. I'm going to put him on hold for now. Uh, And let's go to Sarah from Middletown. Hi, Sarah. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say those people who are mad about having to return to masks for those people who aren't vaccinated need to think about the children in New Orleans who were in the ICU, one of them being one month old up to in the teens. And these kids are dying. Right. I mean, um, children are, to, to quote one of my uh, medical mentors who's never heard of me in his life, Daniel, Dr. Daniel Griffin, he always says, children are at low risk, but they're not at no risk. And we actually are seeing com- some pretty alarming upticks about what's happening to children right now. Uh, we're, going th- we're going through a period where the case rate in children doubled Almost doubled. Went from about thirty-nine thousand, I think, to seventy-two thousand over the from one week to the next. The most recent uh, time, seventy-two thousand cases were added uh, in the last week that we have information about. That's a big increase. It was thirty-nine thousand the week before that. Uh, Hospital, hospi- yeah. Go ahead. And if you talk to the 
physician for the Children's Hospital in New Orleans, he'll set you straight. It's bad. Yeah, hospitalizations um, are up, and, and children are dying. And children are dying from this. Another group of people uh, are uh, obviously the immunosuppressed. Um, they represent somewhere around 3.6% of the population. Uh, and, you know, a lot of them now are getting vaccinated, but they and other people don't necessarily generate, you know, the same immune response from getting the vaccine. That's why Biden is pushing and has succeeded, successfully pushed for the immunosuppressed to be eligible for a third booster shot in the near future. But, you know, this is sort of a group of people. They're cancer patients and they're people who've had organ donations and there's all kinds of reasons why they would be immunosuppressed. And they are also more vulnerable. And, you know, I mean, it's I, I find this is probably a risky thing to say, but I find I'm having flashbacks to the AIDS crisis. You know, I lived through the AIDS crisis and during the 1980s, and, you know, there was this incredibly slow federal response. The Reagan administration didn't want to deal with this. They didn't even want to say AIDS or HIV or anything. They want to say those words. Uh, and. You know, there were two things that got said a lot kind of in the subtext of this. One is it's not that many people. You know, it's not that many people. And and I feel like the same thing might be happening with the immunosuppressed. Well, 3.6% of the population, it's a lot of people. It's probably roughly equivalent to the popula- the percentage of the population that are gay men. It's a lot of people. And there's a lot of people who are worth uh, extending some consideration towards. And the other thing that people said in the, in the 1980s that they're saying now is it's their behavior. It's behavior-driven. It's their fault, right? You heard a lot of that in the 1980s. Uh, about the HIV crisis. I mean, it was wrong. It was unfair. It was deadly, you know. And you kind of hear hearing that now about people who, for whatever reason, have not gotten vaccinated. So they haven't gotten vaccinated. And so that's their behavior. That's their fault. And, you know, I mean, some of them belong to strict religions. Some of them, as I say, are afraid of side effects. There's all kinds of reasons. And I don't think any of those reasons should come with a death penalty. I mean, I'm annoyed by people who won't get the vaccine. I think they're stupid and pigheaded, but I don't think they need to die. Um, and, And so that concerns me as well, this kind of let it rip attitude. Uh, I mean, I think both sides are a little bit intolerant of each other. But I'm using up your time, Sarah. Was there something else you wanted to say? Well, the one-month-old baby didn't ask for this, didn't make it happen. And um, I am very concerned about that picking up without people paying attention to it. Um, now, I've been vaccinated. I'm I'm now going to wear my mask. I don't mind. I don't because I know it can, you know, it can break through. My vaccination can break through. I don't want to be responsible for killing a child or an adult. But right. Um, no, good point. The children. Yeah, good point. No, the children, the children are in play now, you know, and, and they are they don't face the same level of risk as grownups do, but they face a level of risk. And, you know, for any child to die or be hospitalized for a protracted period of time or to get long COVID, which is another thing that can happen to children. They can get long COVID. So you're basically sentencing a kid to, you know, a really uh, pain and discomfort or uh, disease racked childhood. I mean, these are horrible things, too. It's it's why we need to all respond as one. And I, I think right now we're emphasizing our own divisions from one another as opposed to our own commonalities. I want to uh, hear from Rita in East Haddam. Hi, Rita. You're on the air. Hi. I just want to mention that um, I, I was listening to all this, and I have a lot of respect for everybody, unless they don't believe in science. But that's another story. Mm. Um, I have two sons who both have, uh, I think it's pronounced, um, trypanophobia, 
or trypanophobia, but it's a real clinical fear of, of, of piercing of the skin, uh, specifically by a needle or a needle-like object. Um, and I've, both of them have been um, through some amount of therapy to help them get over this. They've both tried to take, um, you know, a, a drug to calm them down. This has been going on since, you know, since they were babies. One of the sons had been hospitalized and received a lot of needles. He, he, he just, I don't know if it came from that or not, but they both have it. I think this is an so interesting far. point. Yeah. You will be pleased to know, Rita, that we are working on a show right now. Uh, free, uh, we have uh, a very well-known freelance independent producer, Julia Pistel, who's going to do a show for us about needles uh, and about oh. and including including that whole idea of like, how people feel about needles. We're actually mm-hmm. working on that show uh, right now. I'll tell you another thing. That's timely. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing that might help your – I don't know, it might be too late to help your sons. I have no idea. But um, there are seven – so there's still a lot of vaccines in development, vaccines that are in trials uh, you know, mm-hmm. pro- probably rough, roughly m- maybe 100 vaccines that haven't come on the market or gotten EUAs or anything are still in trials. Seven of them, a minimum of seven of them, are nasal sprays, um, which is interesting on a couple of levels. One of them is I don't think your sons would have a problem with the nasal spray. Um, the other thing is, you know, what, what we're seeing now, and I did a column for Hearst about this over the weekend, what we're seeing now is, I mean, it looks like, it's probably too early to say this dispositively, but it looks like if, in fact, people who are vaccinated and asymptomatic are nonetheless capable of participating in transmission chains, uh, are, can somehow they get the virus out of themselves and into somebody else, it's because the virus stays trapped in their upper airways. Because, because this is, well, my, I'm not a doctor, and so just factor it for that. But because, in fact, an injection uh, um, goes essentially into the blood uh, and then goes to very effectively, we're finding out, protect uh, your heart and lungs and other vital organs and all the things that the virus, this particular SARS-CoV-2 virus, w- would attack and, and you know either hurt you or kill you with. But it doesn't seem to do very much to the upper airwaves, upper airways. Uh, so, um, so it would be good. It would be interesting anyway to see what would happen if we had uh, an approved nasal spray vaccine. Uh, because not only would it be good for people who are afraid of needles, but it would also maybe begin to address this problem right now. That if, in fact, looking at that Barnstable County data, the province down. Uh, weekend data and looking at some of the other kind of um, studies following in the wake of that, if in fact it's true that it's possible for vaccinated and asymptomatic people to transmit, that basically probably means the virus is nesting, not for very long either. It, It probably is a pretty short cycle there, but for a brief period of time, uh, the virus is able to nest and essentially to infect the upper airways uh, and then get out of the nose and into somebody else. Um, so it would be interesting to see what would happen if we administered vaccines somewhat differently, whether we'd get better results in that way. Okay, so I can um, take um, – let's see, who am I supposed to take? Okay, I am going to take Chris – we're going to have to go to another break here pretty soon. But here's Chris from Farmington. Hi, Chris. Hi, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I uh, just yesterday learned that I am the only member of my five-person household who is not currently infected with COVID. Mm. Uh, and that includes my wife, who is thankfully symptomatic, 
my three-year-old, who is also asymptomatic, my one-year-old, who has mild symptoms, Jeez. and my mother-in-law, who we're pretty sure brought it to us through no fault of her own, um, who is uh, fully vaccinated, thankfully, because she has more moderate symptoms, still nothing that would take her to a hospital, but has not been having a good couple of last days. Wow. First of all, I'm very, very sorry to hear that. Uh, and uh, it sounds like, I mean, one thing that your doctor should be aware of, um, I mean, it doesn't really seem like right now you, you know, anybody's sort of dangerously symptomatic. But there's sort of a window during which monoclonal antibodies can be effective. I don't know that you, any of you would be eligible right now. But, um, yeah. but, you know, that's sort of once you're at that point, anyway, where you're testing positive. So you guys all have positive tests. And you're saying, is, is anybody badly sim- symptomatic at this point? No. Um, and of course, you know, it's a concern. Like, you, know, with, you never know with this virus whether something's going to take a turn for the worse. But thankfully, right now, um, everyone's doing okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully you will be okay. I don't know. Is there anything else you, you want to say about it? Yeah, um, yeah. It's hard not to get politics mixed up in it because, uh, you know, we're pretty sure how my mother-in-law got it was she uh, took an opportunity to take a trip to a family member's wedding in Arizona last week. No masks were there. Everyone we thought were vaccinated, but she only found out after the fact that there were some people who weren't mm-hmm. weren't wearing masks. Given the area and that side of the family, you know, I have a sense. I don't know personally, but it's hard not to for my mind to go to politics and wonder how much that got in the way. And incidentally, my two brothers, one of whom's vaccinated, one of whom's not, different political sides. Um, my brother's currently in the hospital with severe oh, gosh. Uh, symptoms. Yeah. Um, He's got only one lung from a car accident long ago, but he's he got the monoclonal antibody, so fingers crossed he's going to do fine. They're, they're but, getting, you know, I can't help but wonder. Right. They're getting really good results from those. Uh, it turns out remdesivir yeah, doesn't yeah. do very much of anything, but the Regeneron monoclonal cocktail seems to really be helping people. So, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers and all that kind of stuff for, for your brother. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah. Appreciate it. And if you're out there and your mother-in-law went to the Sturgis motorcycle rally, do not let your mother-in-law <laughs> in the house right now. Uh, so it's not just politics. It's choice of propelled vehicles. You've got to watch out these motorcycle people who go to that rally. Um, I think they're having that rally again, and they're not doing anything differently as far as I can tell. They're having this rally, this renowned super spreader event from last year. They're doing it again, and I don't think there's any mask requirement or vaccination requirement because you know, they're born to be wild. <laughs> they're, they're looking for a run-in with any virus that comes their way. All right, so I'm going to say, just so I can mentally regroup, that we'll take our break right now, a little earlier than usual, probably about the same time they would do this in a responsibly hosted talk show. I'm Where We Live probably does take their second break right now. So uh, let's take a break right now, and we'll come back. We'll take your phone calls. The number 860 
All right. We are back. I have some thank yous to say. One of them is to Kat Pastor. She's the technical producer of the show, uh, and uh, she's in there making everything work just the way that it uh, is, needs to work. Uh, and also thanks to Gina Matruda, who is the master blaster, uh, who came in here often when we were about to start the show. <laughs> often when we're about to begin doing one of these call-in shows, there are questions about whether, in fact, we have the capability to do that. But he was... He was on the spot when we needed him. Got the whole thing going again. And special thanks to Jonathan McPants, uh, who is the producer who is screening calls right now and talking to all the delightful people who are calling 860-275-7266. He made the journey up here. Usually it's just me and Kat, but uh, he's with us today. That's fun as well. Oh, let me just quickly tell you just before, then we'll get to like Sarah and John and the other Chris. Um, But uh, so uh, tomorrow we're going to have a multi-topic magazine show which is our way of saying we don't really know what's going to be on the show quite yet. Um, and on, uh, we're going to have a rerun of a delightful show that we did about semiotics. That'll be on Wednesday. Thursday, we're going to do a show. It's the 20th anniversary of the movies of Lord of the Rings. And celebrity producer, producer Lily Tyson is going to take, like, have us take a big look at the Lord of the Rings phenomenon, starting with Tolkien and moving all the way forward uh, to oh to the the new Amazon production that's gonna gonna happen I guess and the fact that they now have Lord of the Rings cryptocurrency I don't even know what that means and then on Friday our cultural roundtable the nose we don't do this very often but we're gonna do a book it's a summer thriller and I, look it, the brothers Karamazov it is not okay it's called the falling it's by T J Newman she's a former flight attendant the whole thing is sort of you know. It's snakes on a plane without the snakes. That's what it is. Snakes on the plane without the snakes. And you can use that as a blurb, people there at whatever publishing company that is. All right. So we're going to go back to the phones here. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Let's go to – we have another Sarah. We'll take this Sarah. And we've got Holly. And we've got uh, Ivy. No, we don't have Holly and Ivy. All right. Uh, I'm just looking for the thing. There, there it is. I, this thing's at a weird angle where I can't see it. Sarah from Plainville. Hi. You're on the air. Sarah. Oh, Plantsville. From Plantsville. Sorry about that. Sarah, does that help when I say you're from Plantsville? No, I'm Cheryl from Plantsville. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, <laughs> in that case, proceed. Proceed with caution. Gracias. Colin, I'm just furious, furious that people are not wearing masks and furious that people are unvaccinated. The backwards thinking of being a patriot by not doing this is so unreal to me. I can't believe it. My family has been affected by COVID. Luckily, I have a 65-year-old and a 70-year-old that got COVID from her going to the Hartford Hospital and him allowed to visit in the ICU, which I'll never understand, but they've recovered. I have a daughter who's immunologically suppressed her system, and she can't get the vaccination. And my granddaughter, she's anaphylactic, and she can't currently get the vaccine. I have a friend who has lung cancer, another friend whose husband has Parkinson's. What is the matter with these people who are saying, unmask our children? My daughter homeschooled for a whole year, one daughter, and the other daughter and her family have to send her kids to daycare because they have to work in order to survive. I I I I share your yeah I I I share I I certainly I share your frustration. Um, I mean I'm sort of trying to evolve my and I was kind of right about where you are, 
you know, for a, a lot of this time. I'm trying to evolve a little bit. And I, I do, one thing that has been, I, like I would really recommend listening to the episode of The Daily, the podcast from the New York Times. Uh, I think it's called Voices of the Unvaccinated or something. You know, you listen to these people and just not all of them are frothing at the mouth, fanatical, anti-vaxxer, lunatic, horrible people. You know, a lot of them are just people with doubts and concerns and, you know, and the way that they express themselves, they don't come across as monsters. And I think if we see one another as monsters, we're very unlikely to convince one another. But it is. This is an insane situation. I was reading a piece this morning about some kind of clinic that was set up in the greater Los Angeles area. Uh, you know, where it was and they were really trying to motivate certain parts of the population that's vaccine hesitant and including populations of color and stuff. But they were getting people there from places like Guatemala, people who are visiting America from other countries uh, who would and they would say to the reporters, well, no, we can't get these vaccines in our country. So it's so great that there's not even a line. <laughs> you know? We can just go right here and they're willing to do this for us. And that's wonderful. And, and, and they're, of course, they think we're crazy. You know, they can't wait to get the vaccine. So, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot that's wrong with this picture. But somehow or other, I, I, you know, to bring people, to, you can't bring people to the table by telling them that they're morons. It just doesn't really work. There's got to be some other way to get them there. Here's Holly and Coventry. Hi. Hi, Colin. What's on Hi. your mind? Oh, I just, I'm just frustrated with the political um, rift that this COVID, ha- you know, that everybody is, you know, going with, we're not going to get the vaccination and, you know, we're not going to wear a mask. You know, I'm, I have a vaccination, I wear a mask, and I have family members who won't get the vaccination. They won't wear a mask. I have employees, two of them, who won't get the vaccination and they have to wear a mask, but um, I don't know. It's just crazy. I'm taken to wearing a mask again when I go out in public. Oh yeah. No, I never stopped. I haven't, I mean, I have to go to the, I have to shop for a relative who's immunocompromised. So, um, you know, so I, when I pick up food or if I go to the grocery store for that person, but I've, I mean, it means anytime I go to the grocery store, anytime I go anywhere, I'm masked for the same and people have to wear a mask if they're not vaccinated. But I know that people aren't being honest. Of course they aren't. Of course they're. Of course they're going to lie about that. So lie. yeah, um, I mean the the same impulse that makes them not want to wear a mask, not want to get vaccinated, is going to make them also not want to tell the truth about it uh, when when the time comes. So there was something else I was going to say about what you were saying. I've, I've lost the plot. Uh, our number is eight six zero. Thanks, Holly. Though thanks for your call. And I, you know I'm sorry about all this. Uh, I think we're all sorry about it, that it's come to that. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Just to what you were saying, Holly, uh, about, I mean, we should be careful when we talk about everybody, all these all these people, because right now, 70% of the U.S. adult, there's two ways to kind of measure vaccination, the whole population or the adult population, the adult eligible population. 70% of the adult population in the United States has had at least one shot. So they've begun, at minimum they've begun, if not completed, the vaccination process. If you want to look at it as a percent of total population, then it's just a little over 50% that's that's totally vaccinated. So the low number would be like 50.7% of the total population uh, is fully vaccinated. I think if you... If it's just one one shot, first shot, not the second shot, I think we're more at like fifty nine percent, something like that. Um, but if you just if you look at adults, it's seventy percent. So people have effectively voted about this. The United States population, in fact, has spoken. 
in a pretty overwhelming way if 70 percent of adults uh, have uh, gotten at least one shot. I mean, it, we're not where we need to be, but it's not as though there's this you know, even divide or anything like that. It's pretty clear what people think they need to do. Uh, all right, here's John from Avon, who is not calling about the turkey. He promises. No. <laughs> Hadn't heard about that, but uh, interesting. I'll have to drive uh, over there and check it out. Um, yeah, uh, it's a red state problem. That's primarily, you know, obviously the politics got into this, uh, unfortunately. And uh, I'm sure the Sturgis rally will be a wonderful thing. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, as long as they keep moving along, you know, uh, outdoors on their bikes, they'll be fine. Uh, as long as they're wearing helmets, I don't know if they believe in helmets either, but uh, uh, getting to the point of, I just, uh, we had a death in the family and I hadn't seen my brother and his wife and two young kids in a while. And they're from Idaho, 20% vaccination rate, much less than the 70. A lot of these red states are much mm-hmm. lower than oh, the yeah. 70. And, um, but, um, I found out over the course of a week, you know, how much he's changed about uh, around, especially, obviously, the, the vaccination question. And uh, they are anti-vaxxers. And I was wondering, is this a, a government conspiracy element or is it I don't like to put, you know, things I don't know that are not tested, in, you know, a health concern? Is there a problem, you know, hesitancy? It's it's both, mm-hmm. and uh, once they go down this path, thank you, social me anti-social media for echoing this chamber of um, misinformation. Um, it's very hard to change their minds, and we need to take seriously. I mean, I tried nicely, gently, you know, uh, like you said um, about reluctance, but this is beyond it in a lot of cases, um, and um, sad, and I'm worried, and I tried my best, but we need to protect them against themselves and everybody else by encouraging our politicians to get the N95 mask is the real deal. These They were reluctant, even on the plane, we had to put our mask on, and they wear it over the nose, you know, not over the nose, under the nose, you know, and it's a cloth mask, not even one of the surgical, you know, the dime a dozen ones you get in, in Walmart or wherever. We need uh, Dr. Postel, I think his name is. He's, this is so transmissive, like uh, small, um, not smallpox, but uh, chickenpox, mm-hmm. uh, that you need to, and they can't fake it. You can't wear an N95, uh, you know, below the nose. It goes fits tight, and right. that's what they need to do. Mandate those and get a non-fakeable, uh, instead of a little card that doesn't fit in your wallet, um, somehow figure out this registry, do it on smartphones in Singapore well, yeah. this year ago and, and, and you know, Korea. They, they got smart about all this. Why aren't we doing this? It's politics. Right. There are at least four states in the country now that have their own uh, app system uh, for vaccine verification. And it seems to me, I don't know, I haven't really looked through this all that carefully, but it seems to me that, I mean, if all this stuff is sort of registered in, on that VAMS site that we all had to use, I think everybody had to use that. Um you should be able to translate that into a, a piece of phone information pretty easily. Now, the truth is, you know, you don't want this to be like voting requirements and stuff. Not everybody has a smartphone. Not everybody has something like that. So you've got to have an alternative for people who are economically advantaged and don't, you know, don't have the capacity to do this. Um, all right. So uh, we're sort of running out of time here, but let's get a Chris from Weathersfield on. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. Yeah. Hi. Um I'm going to take a, a systems uh, engineering approach um, to try to explain what I think uh, to be proactive, I guess, for the next pandemic that comes around. We did not have a 
knowledge engineering system in place for a trigger which would be a pandemic. <clears throat> I don't know what Obama uh, left to uh, uh, Trump, but didn't seem that there was a very good system in place. You know, a trigger, the pandemic, should, you know, lead to the function of, you know, science problem identification, okay? And um, there's, and there's, if you, I wish I had a whiteboard, I could do this so easily. Well, see, here's the problem, though, and here's the problem with the whiteboard and all that kind of stuff. It's easy to, first of all, I should say, there, you know, Trump, when he came in, he did dismantle some of the pandemic response structure that existed within the White House. Um, it, it's also clear that the CDC wasn't operating with the kind of uh, excellence that it was known for in the past. Uh, they screwed some things up. But there actually there are actually were a lot of systems in place and a lot of information in place about how to deal with the pandemic. The CDC had plenty of that kind of stuff. The problem with getting from kind of engineering type solutions and on whiteboards to reality is you have to go through people. So, for example, one of the, the CDC has a handbook for public communications around pandemics. Uh, now, one of the things it says in that in that handbook, for example, is that it should be a non-political person, a scientist, a medical person, should be the spokesperson at all times. That politicians should not be the ones conducting briefings, giving out information, stuff like that. It shouldn't be Trump. It shouldn't be Andrew Cuomo. It shouldn't be anybody like that because, you know, theoretically somewhere between 48 and 52 percent of the people listening to you hate your guts and don't believe anything you say. So it should be more of a Fauci or a Rochelle Walensky kind of person. Uh, giving all, all that information. The problem with that is try telling that to an egomaniacal president or an egomaniacal governor. Right? I mean, they want to do the briefings. They all want to do the briefings. The briefings. They don't want to have some scientists talking to the public on their behalf. And you can sort of take that that reality and amplify it across a lot of other variables that you can make a you know, it's Michael Tyson still said it best. Everybody has a plan until they get hit. You know, there's we had a plan. We didn't always follow it. And there were times when, in fact, it appeared that people were not willing to follow it. But um you know, I mean, anyway, we have to stop there. I do want to thank everybody who called in today. That was so great. It was lots of fun. We are pretty soon going to do the thing. <laughs> we have no topic. Uh, and it's sort of an ask me anything or or tell me anything. I prefer TMA to AMA, I think. Tell me any. Tell me about your turkey. Tell me about something uh, other than what I'm thinking about right now. All right. Thanks for calling. And thanks for listening. <laughs>